Join Andrew Wall, Hector Garcia, and Michael Lee. One mission, one rule. Make accounting fun. Welcome to Friday Night Live with Accountants. Are you ready? Merry Christmas, fellas. How are you guys doing tonight? Great, Merry post-Christmas, Andrew and Hector. Yes, I guess. How are you guys doing? I'm doing amazing. I had a, a pretty special Christmas present this year. Um, yes. So Hector, you met my stepbrother uh, while you're up here um, visiting over the summer. Um, and he had a special surprise coming back then, but they were actually delivered. He had a baby boy and girl just delivered wow. December 23rd. Uh, so a bit of an early Christmas present, but pretty much the one of the best Christmas presents you could you could hope for. So we got two new nieces, or one new niece, one new nephew. Um, so it was a pretty exciting, pretty busy holiday season for us. How about you guys? You get anything uh, special for Christmas? Well, congratulations for that, Andrew. That's that's awesome. New family. It's always life is always a blessing. Um, I got a karaoke microphone from one of my employees, <laughs> and then. Uh, my wife and my mother-in-law and her partner got me a hibachi grill, a griddle, like, yeah, for Christmas. Yeah. And so, and I think Hector, I think you got the same thing either for Christmas or you just have one. I you just were showing it. us. That's right. Yeah, you were just showing us uh, pictures of you in the chef's hat. You looked like you were cooking at a uh, hibachi steakhouse. <laughs> so, so it's kind of funny. We got, so we, we got similar Christmases because my, my sister, um, gave birth uh first week first week of december and uh and also uh one of my our employees did that as well so we had we have two babies in uh in the let's call it in the extended family and the direct family as well and i also bought a hibachi grill <laughs> a 36 inch griddle from amazon it was like 300 bucks and Amazing. i made i actually cooked uh taco traditional christmas taco tuesday we had and i I cooked for the whole family. We had like almost 50 people at the house. Wow, that sounds amazing. And as always, I'm still following in Hector's footsteps, trying to mimic him on everything, including new babies and families. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Well, you know, this is the, the final episode of the year and final hangout time for us as the end of the year. It's always bittersweet to go through the year. Can you believe we actually made it through all of 2019 with this grand experiment? Is that hard to believe, guys? Yes, it, it really is hard to believe from its uh, humble beginnings uh, to now well over a year and we're still going strong. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, uh, it's a testament that you're committed to something and, uh, and, and you kind of want to see it through and then you want to be able to go back and be proud of it. You just do it. You know, uh, mm -hmm. you know we, we don't make any money with this, <laughs> with this uh, you know, podcast. We've, you know, we, the way the format works and and, and the topics that we talk about and the way we do it, I don't think there's a way for us to even have any sort of commercial <laughs> uh, concept behind this unless we change the concept. And, that, and that's not completely beyond the horizon, mm -hmm. but it's, right now I think it's, we're having fun. We're meeting new people. Uh, we're sort of continuing the, 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 the excitement from the conferences and meeting other, other fellow professionals and continuing the conversation about all the crazy things are happening in our, in our industry. Every day, there's changes. And I think this format of forced conversations, like that's really what it is, right? We're, we're scheduling them. We're forced to talk about them. We're forced to come up with topics. 
it's a really good way to kind of like not bottle inside of you frustrations about your day-to-day mm-hmm. life and also learn from how mm-hmm. others are managing uh, so many issues. You know, earlier this year, you know, the biggest curveball that we got, you know, I think it was February, where we started learning about Quick, uh, the QuickBooks Live and our biggest partner sort of becoming our big, potentially our biggest competitor. The way, I mean, you could see it that way or maybe not. I know that we don't see it like that anymore, but first impressions was, well, what's into it? QuickBooks is it's, it's stepping into um, our industry, our job. So we've, so it was a great uh, place for us to talk about it and discuss it and see different, uh, different versions of it. So, so today, we, I mean, uh, this year, we talked about a lot of the things that were going on this year. But in today's episode, we want to focus on the entire decade. We're closing out the decade, closing out the podcast for the year. You know, uh, next episode will be 2020. It will be an entirely different decade. Mm-hmm. So let's have, a, let's have a chat around, you know, what has this past 10 years have been like both personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. But first, maybe let's do maybe a quick three-minute Reader's Digest version. Let's go through each of us. Let, tell us a little bit about your sort of personal and work life all the way up to January 1st, 2010 to tell us sort of of the prequel of Mm. of this decade. So we'll start with you, Michael, kind of tell us your backstory, you know, leading up to 20, uh, to this decade. Yeah. So, you know, my backstory usually starts with my parents were refugees from Cambodia and they came to to the United States in 1981. I was born shortly after, grew up in Arizona, um, typical refugee upbringing, if you know what that is. (laughs) And, uh, and um, grew up in the Cambodian community, one foot in the Cambodian community, one foot in the American, becoming Americanized community. Um, and uh, always thought I'd probably be like a doctor or engineer, which is what every Asian parent wants for their kids. <clears throat> and uh, quickly realized after I uh, started meeting people and uh, starting getting interested in other people and engaging people that I wanted to do something else. <clears throat> um, in high school, I got the opportunity to work summers for my brother-in-law, and he happened to be the controller at a nonprofit in Arizona. Um, he, by the time I was 16, he left his job to go get his master's in accounting, and they gave me his job. So at 16 till 19, I had my first accounting job, and um, I had taken some accounting classes in high school, uh, and so um, then I got to college majored in business, uh, did bookkeeping, did bookkeeping throughout college to put myself through school. Um, and it was in college that I had my first entrepreneurship journey. Um, I started a software company when Palm Pilots were around. And uh, for two years, me and my best friend from high school built Palm Pilot software, um, different apps on Palm Pilots. So I would thought I was going to be in the wireless kind of world for a while. I did that for two years, dropped out of college. Um, and then, uh, of course, my family was very embarrassed and upset that I dropped out of college. So I went back um, after about six months of being out and uh, finished up, joined a public accounting firm, not in public or tax, not in tax or audit, but I, I joined in their consulting division and did controller consulting um, and helped companies internally with their private accounting. Um, did that for some time. Uh, and... Uh, and then um, after that, after that, a public accounting firm, I took a break and worked for a local nonprofit, a ministry nonprofit in Arizona that did kind of missions work around the world. I needed some a break from 
private to kind of figure out what I wanted to do with my life. If I wanted to, at some period, I, I thought I wanted to become a pastor maybe. Um, and, uh, but then I met, met Shannon from Vermont, a place I'd never heard of. And we got married in 2006. We moved to Seattle in 2007. And I basically worked as a controller and then a CFO for a company in Seattle. And I helped them grow from 10 to $40 million um, in revenue in about a four-year time span, uh, 50 employees to 200-something employees by the end of my time there. Um, in 2011, while I was still working for them, I moved to Vermont. And we had one child, and, um, and we started having more children here. And so that's I took where I'll kind of end it is at the end of 2009, we were still in Seattle thinking about moving to Vermont. Um, I was working at this company called the Mosaic Company as their basically their CFO, and uh, they were growing fairly fast. And I got a, a really huge experience in um, converting QuickBooks Desktop to NetSuite and and how to you know lead uh, lead as a CFO in a in a, in a fast growing organization. So that's kind of the nutshell of my career up until to the beginning of 2010. Andrew, how about you? Yeah, I mean, very, very different, uh, different experience for sure. Um, born into a family, multi-generational uh, Canada. I guess I was the uh, third generation to live uh, no more than uh, 10 minutes from Young and Bloor, which is sort of the central hub of Toronto, or as we call it, the center of the universe. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and I grew up, um, you know, around a family accounting practice. My father had started a, an accounting practice, had a fairly... Um, successful accounting practice. And of, of course, logically growing up in an accounting practice, the last thing I wanted to do was become an accountant. Um, so I went to, to university and followed sort of my mom's um, sort of guidance and direction and went more towards the, the sociology route. Uh, so I went to University of Western Ontario, graduated with a degree in sociology and quickly learned that as, as great and as fun as those sociology classes were in university, they didn't really land you with a ton of opportunities when you graduated. Um, so I graduated from Western in 1996 um, with a BA in sociology, which my stepmother affectionately refers to as a bugger all in sociology because that's what you can do with it. Um, and so I ended up going back to school uh, to do uh, a degree in e-commerce um, from um, – the Information Technology Institute, sort of a, a more technical school, hands-on, gets you in there um, learning to code real fast, um, and then went out and built uh, an application for my father, which was this, you know, back in, you know, 1988, 1999, an online accounting application, which was a pretty groundbreaking, revolutionary idea uh, for the time. Um, we were using it as a tool to be able to uh, outsource and offshore to around the world. And when we aired on a national television show, showing our back office in Uganda, India, or Uganda, um, Kampala, Uganda, Africa, in late 90s, early 2000s, when the most people knew about Africa um, was the big giant scams out of Nairobi where there was a wealthy prince offering you millions of dollars. It, it sort of went over like a lead balloon. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly its greatest uh, time to launch a BPO service. Um, but it still, you know, gave me a wealth of knowledge around technology and around uh, accounting, um, so much so that 
Um, I actually in 19, I guess it was around, uh, sorry, it would have been, I guess, skip forward a few more years. It was probably around 2006. Um, I went back to school to, to get my degree in accounting um, so that I could get into this whole accounting world, which I started to realize I had a bit of a passion for. And in 2008, um, I had my, my daughter, which was the probably the biggest event in my life. You know, firstborn child, you don't really know what, what to be prepared for. Um, doing that while going to school, while working full-time, I definitely was um, – was had a lot of balls in the air, so to speak, um, but it was a, an exciting time because you know there was lots of really interesting things going on. Um, you know, we were doing some pretty exciting stuff that we thought with technology, um, but it was really around around that period in my life. Shortly thereafter, again, and you know, probably the the early parts of this decade that I really got introduced to the cloud, um, and then ended up starting my journey into the cloud, um, which happened really in this last, in this last decade. So this last decade has been a, a big monumental shift from where I was, um, to where I am today. And I'm, I'm looking at 2020 as being a year of another monumental shift. Um, you know, we're, we're aging up now, our, our children or my children are certainly getting older. Um, that's changing shifting our priorities, shifting our focus, uh, shifting our energy. The business world is changing and transitioning. We're, we're trying, or at least it looks like we're finally hitting, hitting this tipping point um, on the adoption curve for cloud accounting technology. But now we've got you know, new com competitors like BotKeeper and QuickBooks Live, and we've got some, you know, a really interesting and really potentially hyper competitive future in this new decade, but still full of lots hey, of potential Andrew, and lots of hey, opportunity. Andrew, yeah, let's move on to Hector first, and then we're gonna <laughs> talk. We're gonna talk about the the next the next the past ten years. We actually want to we want to just move to what. So basically, you had your daughter, and then and then and what what how did how did that end in two thousand nine? Like, where were you in two thousand nine? So two, in 2009, I was basically still, um, I was, you know, I had a one-year-old daughter and uh, juggling school, a new daughter, um, and an interesting accounting career. Okay, that's great. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, your, your mic sounds a little hot, so you, I don't know if you're too close to it or if, if, the, if the mic volume is a little high, but it just sounds a little Yeah, hot. it might be the mic volume. Let me, let me turn that down. Yeah. yeah. So Hector, how about you? What, what, what brought you through to 2009 and, and um, what was your background like? Wow, there's a lot of lot of stuff. Let me see if I can make it short. Uh, so my, I came to the to the United States when I was 12 years old, and um, when I started to becoming a sort of a techie, uh, my dad actually bought me a book called uh, Learn HTML in 21 Days. It is HTML 1.0. This is back in '92. The internet was just a brand new thing. Um, so I literally in, in the summer, <laughs> I, I, I studied it and I followed the directions and I learned how to program HTML. And that was the last thing I ever learned. The first and the last thing I ever learned how to program. But from an early age, you know, I, I, I was very curious in the technology world. Um, fast forward to my first job. I must have been 15 or 16. I worked at Pizza Hut. I actually answered the phone, took on the orders boxed you know created the boxes sometimes put the pizza in the box and then i got upgraded to cook or to chef or whatever and that was really like sort of uh, the highlight of my of my uh, pizza hut career uh then my car broke down and they moved me from a takeout 
like a takeout delivery uh, pizza hut to a full restaurant pizza hut. And then uh, my first day, it was like Friday night and I was done usually by 10. And, and they told me, well, you know, you have to clean the floors and the dishes. And I was like, what? I, that wasn't, uh, I, I quit. I literally <laughs> spent one day in a full service restaurant and I said, I'll never step foot in a restaurant ever again. I mean, the takeout delivery one was kind of cool. Anyway, so I was without a job for for a while, but every summer uh, from 2015 to 2000, and, no, sorry, from 2000, and, no, every summer from 95 to 98, so like four summers in a row, I went back home, back to Venezuela, and I worked over the summer as a technical support uh, person for the people that are connecting to the internet for the very first time. And I used to walk people through in installing Internet Explorer and Netscape in their Windows 3.1 and the Windows 95 machines. So even as a young kid, 15, 16, 17, was just very into the internet and, and the techie world. I finally got a job here in the US closer to 17 or 18, I think I must have been 18, doing the same thing, doing technical support for a local internet service provider close to where I live. And I did that for about three years. And then in 2001, uh, which is you know where the dot-com crisis came in, the company was bought out by another company and bought out by another company and then it went belly up and I was left without a job. A couple of months later, a friend of mine from high school got a job in Best Buy and he said, you should come over, you should come work, work with me. It's a really fun place to work on. I started working at Best Buy. I, I worked as a salesperson in the computer department. It, it fit me right because I was a computer nerd and a new internet, all that stuff. And I quickly escalated to becoming the supervisor of the computer department and that actually took me to New York uh, because a, a, a friend of mine had got, got promoted as a regional manager and he said, come to New York and then you'll become a manager pretty soon. So I moved to New York for about a year and, um, and it, it, it was fun. I, I loved living in New York, working at Best Buy, but it wasn't what I thought it was. I got, you know, the first winter came in and that's it. I was, I was, I was done, you know, so as, as soon as I felt the winter coming, I basically said, no, that's too much for me and I came back home. So I came back home. Uh, kind of jobless at, at that point. This is end of 2003. And then I, I, got a, I got my old job at Best Buy back and I worked there for maybe another year. And then I just got really tired of, of, of retail. Retail was consuming a lot of my, my life and I was trying to go through college throughout it. And I was just really a slacker through college because I worked and I moved to New York and I worked at Best Buy. I probably did, you know, in four years, one year's worth of college. So, um, you know, my dad convinced me that, you know, hey, look, you got to concentrate on college, you know, change jobs. And I did. And I got a job actually in a print shop, like five minutes from my house. It was like a nine to five job. And I was doing uh, some quasi graphic design. Mostly I was organizing the jobs that were being sent to the printer, postcards, business cards, that sort of thing. And I did that for about uh, a year. And then I got sick. I, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. So I quit my job and I basically dedicated the next 10 months or so to doing my chemotherapy and radiation. Um, and uh, my treatment was done somewhere around September or October of 2005. Uh, then I decided to now let's, let me go back to school now and kind of like, you know, chill out with work for a while. And, and I kind of just stopped working. I did kind of some freelance computer work on the side while I was, you know, sort of getting back into the groove of going to school. And then in 2006, an interesting opportunity came along to go work at Circuit City, but retail, retail 
got me back. But Circuit City was going through a lot of transformation. So uh, they were looking for someone that was kind of, kind of forward thinking. And they said, could you, could you work in our, our version of Geek Squad? You know, we're designing our own version of Geek Squad. You got Geek Squad experience. You come from Best Buy. Could you come over? They offered me something that at the moment I thought it was an unbelievable uh, uh, job and, and paycheck. So I worked there for about three years and I built their, their uh, sort of the back office, uh, no, two years, their back office uh, scheduling system for the installers that went on the road and did the installation and computer work and audio video work, that sort of thing. And then some other random opportunity came along, totally random. My brother got a job at Wells Fargo, Wachovia back then, and he said the same thing. Come over, man. You know, they're looking for new bankers, forward-thinking bankers, you know, come in. And, and I went into my interview, and I basically told the person, I know nothing about banking. I know nothing about finance. My major in college is marketing. In the last six years, I've done two years' worth of college. Uh, but I'm a heck of a salesperson. I'm willing to learn and kind of show them, to tell them my entire life history. And she was like, you know what? If you're half as good as Carlos is, my brother, you're hired. So I started working in a bank. So I was hired as a business banker with zero banking experience. And that was three years before I started my business because I literally quit my banking job in 2009 to start my business. So I guess we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But that, those, that banking career was crucial for me because that's when I realized how many small businesses were hurting on the accounting side where they, uh, they, um, they, they didn't have real-time bookkeeping. And every time, you know, I, I was a sort of kind, of kind of a loan officer. So people came to me with uh, asking for loans all the time. This is 2007 through 2009. So some good times of banking and some really bad times of banking, right? Um, and so they're asking for loans. And every time you're asking for a P&L and balance sheet, it's either a disaster, old, on this whole drama around getting the accountant to give that. So that started helping me build some insight around you know, what the, the true need was. And at the moment, this is 2008, my daughter was born. And literally September 27th, where my daughter was born, I don't know if you remember this, but the market crashed September 25th of 2008. September 26, Wachovia, my, my employer, was declared bankrupt. I was literally in the hospital waiting for my daughter to be born. And then, you know, hey, by the way, you know, you, you might not have a job when you come back, you know. Uh, and I remember this whole nine months of the pregnancy, my wife and I were debating on whether or not we should, uh, we should, she should go back to work or, or, or stay and raise our kid. And, and back then, you know, I was making maybe about $70,000 a year. She was making maybe $45,000 a year. So as, as, as a, as a couple, as a young couple with one kid on the way, $110,000 a year wasn't bad, but you know, her, you know, basically removing 35, 40% of our income would have been catastrophic. So I was sort of debating on the side, no, no, you're going back to work. And the, literally the day my daughter was born, she looked at her and said, Hector, you know what I decided, I'm not going back to work. So, so the, immediately with the whole turmoil of Wachovia being insolvent, Wachovia was sold to, uh, Citibank, and then the next day, the the it was sold back to Wells Fargo. So it like basically, I didn't know what the heck was going on. I was calling my my boss and saying, "Hey, my daughter's just born. Do I have a job? What's going on?" They're like, "Don't worry about it. Take your two weeks. Don't worry about it. We're not going anywhere. We'll figure it out." So um, 
so anyway, so I, I went back to work. It was it was normal. So now I worked for Wells Fargo, and I and my job kept going uh, exactly the same. It was just really really hard to give loans then. So basically, the stress of banking started to get to me. The stress of dealing with, you know, just just a bad environment to be in banking, and my my wife quitting, uh, it forced me to start researching what are things that my wife can do on the side in the afternoons at home without leaving so she could take care of her daughter and also work at the same time. And this concept of bookkeeping came along and I said, well, you know what? I'm noticing as a banker how crappy these people's books are. I don't know anything about accounting, but my, my history has told me it doesn't matter if whether I know it or not. If, we, if I put my mind to it, we can figure it out. My wife, she studied finance, but it's not the same thing as accounting. So uh, and at the time I was still studying marketing. Marketing was my major. Uh, I had just recently graduated actually from uh, from a marketing degree so my, my wife and i just basically just did it so we created a company called quick bookkeeping uh it's called positive brand confusion people saw the first words it sounds like quickbooks oh these guys must know what they're doing and she started the business on the side sort of sort of on the side part-time while i was doing uh the banking and the end of 2009 is literally when i quit my my job at the bank and January 1st, 2010 was my first, basically my first day as a full entrepreneur with no salary, uh, no nothing. So that's basically a, a summary of everything escalating up to 2010. That's great. So that's, that's the story of the three of us up till, till the beginning of this decade. And um, so we want to go with kind of like, what was this decade like for each of us professionally and personally? Um, and uh and so, yeah, so in, it, as I mentioned, as in 2000, 2009, I was in Seattle with my wife um, and uh, something unique happened then um, and in the fall 2009 in that um, my wife's, um, my wife's father, basically, who raised her, um, passed away with cancer. Um, he had a bout of cancer and then the beginning of 2010 passed away. And so we were, we actually spent a lot of time apart my wife and I during that period, cause she would come back to Vermont with, with our first child to spend time with him. And uh, so there were weeks, there were, there were stints where I was basically, I was disconnected or we were dis uh, disconnected for weeks at a time. Um, and, uh, and so eventually we made the decision to come back or to, to move to Vermont and start raising our children here um, and have more children. And I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, I always felt like my my experience in college with the with the Palm Platt software company that I'd started um, showed me that I wasn't I didn't really feel like a normal accountant or a normal CFO. I had a really definitely a strong entrepreneurial streak in me. Streak in me. So um, and I also wanted to I always wanted to have a lifestyle where not only could I get be involved as an entrepreneur, but I can be involved um, in ministry somehow. Right. And because it was a big part of my family story of coming to the country and um, the church sponsoring us and being part of our lives. And so um, and then walking in my own faith that way. So I wanted to be, make sure I had a lifestyle where I always had the freedom to be involved in ministry. So I uh, when I got to Vermont, uh, a school I had heard about um, in college was called Babson College. It's the number one entrepreneurship school in the country. Um, and it's been ranked by U.S news and world reports their college rankings in entrepreneurship for for years and so i always wanted to go to school there i couldn't go there for my undergrad so i was able to go there for my mba and i did that from vermont so 
Uh, Babson College is based in Wellesley, just outside of Boston. I'd go down there for long weekends, and then the rest of the time was virtual, um, um, in groups virtually. Um, and basically, my goal was to either shift completely out of the accounting realm or to take what I learned there and to make a pivot into entrepreneurship from that. So I spent a, a couple of years doing my MBA. Um, and then after my MBA was done, um, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to go start my business. Well, <laughs> I got an opportunity to run for office. So I actually did that. I did, I did, I ran for office that took me, I ran for two different seats locally, one for state house of representatives and then one for city council. I lost both by 30 votes. So very short margins, um, had a great time doing it and, uh, and thankful that I actually lost because, um, shortly after is when I began brainstorming the idea for reconciled and I launched reconciled. So in the, at the end of the summer of 15 is when I launched reconciled and, uh, and so recon the second half of the decade has really been reconciled. I've spent the past four, four and a half years building reconciled, um, growing it to the team we are now, you know, almost 30 team members across multiple states and customers all over the country and getting introduced to this cloud accounting QuickBooks world um, that where I met you guys. So the second half of this decade has really been a, a life changing period career wise. Because not only have I felt like I've come into full fruition in regards to as being an entrepreneur and solidifying myself, solidifying myself as an entrepreneur, um, but also finding a community that I feel at home in and feel connected to, um, and so that's been that's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. So I'd say that the first half was almost preparing for the second half, <laughs> you know, getting the education and the training I needed for the second half, and now I'm into the um, you know, into the second half. And, and that's, and that's, that's, that's where, you know, that's where that, that's where I'll stop. Where I'll, and I'll go, go to one of you guys. I guess, uh, as I was saying for me, you know, I just had, had a daughter, she was about uh, two years old um, and had, uh, I guess in 2010, just recently uh, got my uh, CPA designation. So I think at the beginning of the decade, I was, I was definitely on, um, you know, I was on a bit of a high. I finally got my designation. We were working on this technology. We had been down to Africa and met the president of Uganda. I'd been on national television. I was riding on, on a bit of a high, almost getting a little bit, maybe a tad bit arrogant uh, about where we were in our, in our positioning. And it was very shortly after that, maybe about 2002, 2003, um, that I bumped into um, Josh uh, Zwig at this live CA event, which we talked about actually when we had um, um, uh, Will Lopez on the, uh, the other week. Um, and um, he really started opening my eyes um, to the fact that, well, this was a really revolutionary idea in 1998. Uh, by 2003 and 2004, we'd already been leapfrogged by, by the competition. And what was going on with you know wave accounting and fresh books and quickbooks uh, online and zero had already well surpassed this great idea and this great concept that we had um, back in 1998 and that started this um, period of turmoil for me uh, because there was this this really really horrible period um, where i was simultaneously getting really excited about what was going on 
Um, but the more I was getting excited and, 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 and wanting to move towards this direction, the more my dad was almost sort of digging in his heels. Um, and we were also at this point where, you know, like that transition between father and son, um, you know, he, he his big uh, famous saying at the time was, I've forgotten more than you'll ever know. Um, and, and he just, at that point, to him, I was still his little son and I didn't, I didn't know enough yet. And so while I was really excited about what was going on with this technology, I couldn't really point to any established people who had done like I knew it. I knew it in my heart that this was where it was going. And I could I could feel it. Like it was tangible to me, but it wasn't tangible to him. And I wasn't really able to express it in a way that he was like, you know, I get it. I now, you know, I'm gonna take my business that I've had um, for decades and listen to you fresh out of school and follow your, your direction down this path. Because at that point in time, you know, he just thought I was a young buck with, with, you know, who, who thought he knew everything, um, and, and was, you know, too big for his britches, so to speak. Um, but I knew it, I could, I could sense where this was going and I could look at what, what, there was really only a handful of people who were doing it back then. Um, and I could see what they were doing and I could see the potential of where this was going to go with this technology um, that I was so committed to it. Plus I, I loved the whole aspect of this shift um, from the nine to five grind that I'd had in his traditional practice to this more flexible um, work environment. And with a daughter who was, um, just entering preschool at the time um, uh, and wanting to have that flexibility to be around when she got out of school and spend time with her as opposed to be, you know, downtown Toronto traffic at five o'clock trying to rush back and maybe getting home by six, six thirty-seven, if I'm lucky. And then being, you know, have, have the boss pissed off that I've only worked in the bare minimum of nine to five. Um, Whereas with, with opening my own practice and going down my own route, I could work just as hard, sometimes truthfully, we know as entrepreneurs, twice as hard, but around my schedule and, and times that work for me. Um, and this started going relatively well. I mean, we had, there was, you know, it, I discovered quickly that clients actually liked having evening appointments just like me because many of them have clients and don't want to have to take time away from their business or away from their family. So if they can have a meeting virtually on Zoom or go to meeting, which I was using back then as opposed to Zoom, they could have a meeting virtually in the evening. They loved it, you know, and, and introducing them to this new technology and ways to interact in different ways and you know, just the little things that we all now take for granted, like calendar booking and Zoom meetings um, and enabling uh, this virtual office. The clients loved it. I loved it. Um, and as the industry sort of matured um, and I started to have a bit of success and my father could look around and see that there were other people having success and that this wasn't some fad that was going to die overnight, um, we sort of started to rekindle that respect. And I think, you know, I, I look at it now and realize that for my dad, I really had to, I had to do it for myself, right? I had to, to show to him that I wasn't just his son and his business, um, that I was capable of building and sustaining my own practice on my own um, without him. And by doing that, that really fundamentally changed our dynamic in, in, uh, in where we are now. Um, and you know, I, I don't think I could be where I am today had I not 
left the practice to start my own business and prove to him not only that this idea had merit, but that I had um, the courage, the fortitude, and the intelligence to run and manage my own practice. Um, and it was, you know, as, as anyone knows, starting their own practice, it was, it was scary because I left a, a comfortable paycheck for an uncertain future um, with a young family, not knowing when that next paycheck is going to come in the door, um, but just working off of faith and hard work, um, you know, and it, it, it certainly, uh, I think it, it's definitely proven to have worked out. And now sitting at the end of, of 2010, uh, my dad have formulated a succession plan. We've merged our two practices together. We have probably a better relationship than we've ever had before because we have, we have that level of mutual respect. Um, we, we work well together. It's not to say we don't still, you know, have our disagreements on, on approaches and strategies, but we found our way to work through that in a way that, um, that, that is respectful to each other, um, that takes in both viewpoints, because I think the, the reality is his years of experience and that wisdom, you know, has so much power in it. Um, and, and you, when you combine that, that experience um, with this new and amazing technology and you merge it all together, I think you get something really exciting. Um, so I, I, you know, that's why I'm really excited about what the next decade is going to have. But before we get there, I guess we should really hear about Hector and, and his, his decade um, since uh, 2010. So Hector, you want to take it away? Yeah, sure. And I'll, I'll attest to that because I met your dad this summer and he's a brilliant guy and I'm sure it wasn't easy to, to kind of like try to fill in those shoes. So, so shout out to your dad. He's a great, great, great man. And I'm sure you, you, you learned a lot from him. I have a lot to learn from him. So let's see how do I resume my story on this weird fragmented storytelling that we're doing here. So uh, January 1st, 2010, or shortly after, I actually started a master's degree in taxation. Uh, just going back for a minute, I graduated in, uh, as a marketing degree in 2006. Uh, and then about a year later, when I started paying my student loans, I said, I don't want to pay my student loans anymore. And they gave me all the options and how to defer them and all this stuff. And, you know, I was sick, you know, when I, when I, you know, so, so I, I, I lost some school and, and, and I lost some money also not being able to work for that year while I was sick. So, um, so one of the options I said, well, if you go back to school, if, you, if you're enrolled in a program, your loans get deferred. And I said, all right, sure. I'll go back to school, see what happens. So I enrolled in a master's on fi of finance out of all, you know, degrees. And that's because I was working at the bank at the moment and the bank would pay for it. So basically the bank paid or part of it, part of my master's in finance. And then uh, when I graduated, which is 2008 from a master's in finance in 2009, we were having all these issues with the market and I already knew I was going to quit at some point. I restarted my business. So I, on my own, I went back to school one more time and I did what's called a graduate certificate in accounting and auditing, which is basically the equivalent of an undergrad in accounting for people that already have a degree. Uh, and the reason for that is because I, I thought the master's in finance was a little bit weak on the accounting side, which is really the part that I was already foreseeing to be my future because I set, I set up this bookkeeping business with my wife. So I graduated from that program 2009 and then January of 2010 through the end of 2011. So it took two years. I did a master's in taxation. The minute I finished my master's in taxation, I started studying 
for my CPA exam. I passed it within the next six to nine months. Um, and then I started getting uh, my experience. I actually hired a CPA to work in my firm just so they can give me uh, experience because I didn't want to quit my, my job to go work somewhere. So I hired a CPA to come and supervise my work for a whole year so they can sign off on, off, on my license. So that person literally looked at all my work, you know, through the whole year uh, and, and helped me through certain things. And, and that's how I kind of became a CPA, you know, with the, the master's degree in taxation and then passing the exam and then having a full-time uh, CPA working in my in my office supervising my work. So that uh, this decade, first three to four years was a lot of learning, a lot of schooling, all the way to the point that I, you know, that I became a CPA, but also learning how to run a business. You know, 2010, 2011, 2012 were very rough years for us. It was very stressful, a lot of work. You know, I was raising my daughter, my, my son who was born in 2011, doing my master's in taxation and also running a business at the same time a lot of, it was, it was just nuts. Um, you know, once I became a CPA, uh, the, I, I remember the day I got my license in the mail some, sometime late 2014, when it came in, it just felt like from that moment forward, life was gonna be easier, you know, I made it, whatever that means. Um, and then I was basically a bit more relaxed, I wasn't so stressed out about, about just, you know, just sort of backwards work and busy work. And that's around the time that I, that I started learning this concept of value pricing. I met uh, Ron Baker in 2013 at a conference. And it, it started, that was kind of the beginning of me started thinking about the concept. And, um, and with value pricing came in increasing the value of your brand. And I decided to create a webinar series called QB Power Hour. So summer of 2013, I met Michelle Long in person. We actually taught a class together for Intuit. We made really good um, chemistry. And I told her one day, you know, you and I will do something interesting together. And I always looked up to Michelle Long because she's always been sort of the heavy hitter in the training world of QuickBooks. And obviously I love training. That's my thing. And then summer of 2014, when, uh, when QuickBooks Connect was announced, the first QuickBooks Connect was announced, I called Michelle and say, look, it, it's QuickBooks Connected. Obviously, QuickBooks training is going to be a, a huge thing. You and I should do a webinar series. Let's partner with Intuit. Maybe they can help us uh, kind of increase the awareness of, of it. And in exchange, maybe we'll promote the Pro Advisor program. We'll promote the conferences. And we did that. So we created a, a webinar series. Michelle Long and I, uh, October 2nd, 2014 was the first episode. Intuit helped us start it you know, promoting it across the pro advisors. We started getting a bit of an audience. In exchange, we're very friendly towards Intuit in such a way that we called it QB Power Hour and we never spoke about a competing product for the entire five years of the series. 2014, all the way to the beginning of 2019 was my tenure in, in QB Power Hour. Uh, uh, April of this year, or March or April this year, I gave it back to Michelle or gave it to Michelle and say, this is yours, you know, continue it. I'm going to do my own thing. And I started a new webinar series called Advanced Webinars, which I actually charge people to be able to access the recordings and stuff like that. So that's been the evolution of, of that training. In this decade, uh, life gave me three additional children on top, of, on top of my daughter who was born in 2008. So this decade has been mostly, I mean, I learned a lot about business, but I think I've learned much more about sort of life and parenting and how to manage stress and multitasking 
having uh, having so many kids and, and running a business. This decade also gave me some wonderful things. I met both my business partners who helped me build build my business and helped me sort of take on the clients that I can't take while I'm doing training or traveling or doing webinars and that sort of thing. And uh, and and I'm also very grateful for technology. I've 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 been on top of technology the entire decade, and I've I make sure that no new technology uh, gets popular without you know me talking about it or using it or at least being fully aware of it. And having that webinar series where you know every single week I'm looking for new topics to talk about kind of forced me to get really deeply into technology. Uh, in this decade, I also created my YouTube channel, which is actually an accident. Uh, because the YouTube channel was designed to to post the recordings of QB Power Hour, because people kept emailing me saying, "How do I watch the recording? How do I look? how do I go back?" It's like, dude, you know, you can't follow directions. There's a link on the email. I said, you know what? I'm, we just want to public, make it public in YouTube, and forget about it. And basically, that was the start of me creating content on YouTube. So basically, every single episode of QB Power Hour was a video on YouTube, and then I cut up the episodes and created mini sort of mini versions of like shorter videos of it and then i started experimenting with video content and fast forward to let's say today um we have seven employees in our firm uh we have all they're all pro uh, they're all pro advisors actually they're all advanced pro advisors with the exception of one new employee that just started working um a week ago uh, our our firm does probably a little bit over a million in revenues uh, revenues really don't matter. That's more of a vanity, vanity metric. But it, I think it's just valuable, to just you know, contextually, how much business we manage. Uh, we probably do about 400 tax returns a year, about maybe 250 corporate, 150 uh, personal. We have, I would say, about 60 or 70 or so monthly bookkeeping clients, uh, payroll type of uh, type of clients, sales tax type of clients, and the rest of the work mostly is consulting and uh and today i'm proud to say that i've also make a money on my sleep by having uh people sponsor my webinars and my and my youtube channel and i create content for people i'm actually currently creating the the student resource guide to a quickbooks desktop 2020 book that's going to be in all the colleges in in the country so uh, when students are learning quickbooks in college and they're going to the back of the page and says go here for additional resources those videos are going to be produced by me which is why i'm i'm now building a, a homemade recording studio in my house so i can have a little bit of uh, sort of higher quality audio and video type of content and i'm you know i'm very proud of what we built and and I'm really looking forward to the next 10 years. I'm not sure what they're gonna look like, but I have some ideas. Thanks for sharing guys. So yeah, we wanna kind of end this show and this episode with our thoughts for the next 10 years, what we think it's gonna be like for each of us, or maybe in just in general, what it's gonna, what it's gonna be shaped like. I think um, the next 10 years, you know, I couldn't tell you what the last 10 years was going to be like. So first of all, just to admit that we're probably going to be wrong with whatever we say tonight. Um, and I couldn't have imagined, you know, at the end of 2009, beginning 2010, telling you that I would be in Vermont, have, uh, you know, reconciled as a fully baked company and have two other startups I'm working on, have a, a new community that I've met and I'm thriving in and getting to know people that I love. And, um, 
and with three kids. So, I mean, that alone is already a kind of a, a thing I couldn't predict, but uh, I think, you know, for the next 10 years, what I hope to be doing and you know, what I hope next 10 years will look like is I think the landscape of, of accounting finance is going to change as, as Andrew said, with technology coming out. And so we're all going to have to pivot and play in, in different lanes or in a different way to respond to that. I think it's going to go a lot slower than we expect. Um, and I think, I think the major players like Intuit and Zero are innovating and they're going to continue innovating and they're going to surprise us. And so the next 10 years is probably, um, and I also expect to probably see a recession happen in the next 10 years. It's pretty safe to say that I'm not an economist, but probably going to see it happen. So, um, yeah, so I'll probably still be, um, you know, a few more years running reconcile, I'm assuming, um, and, and growing these two other businesses that I have, and we won't have any more children. That's definitely not the plan. Um, I don't think we'll still be in Vermont. Uh, I don't think we'll still be in Vermont, um, for all the 10 years. So we'll see, um, we'll probably be in another city or state and, uh, maybe around some more diversity, which would be great. And, uh, I could see myself. <coughs> Miami. <coughs> it might be exactly maybe Miami. Yeah. Here, so, yeah. Here's my vision. And I think we should all, we should all subscribe to this vision. I think we should all have a house in Miami for the winters, a chalet in Vermont, um, to, for a couple of weekends here and there, um, and a house in Toronto to come and party at. There you go. So we can travel around the world, visit each other, uh, have fun and, and, and have homes all around the world. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I, that's a great vision. That's a great vision, Andrew. <laughs> well, how about you, Andrew? Like, no, next, I don't yeah. want you that close to me. <laughs> <laughs> what is Andrew, what does the next 10 years look like for you? You think? Yeah, I think, um, I think the change is going to happen actually faster than, than you. I'm, I'm going to predict that the change is going to happen on a hockey stick curve growth, because I think that, you know, we're, we're approaching that tipping point. And as we've seen in the accounting world in the past, they're slow to adopt, but then once you hit that critical point, boom, everyone's on it. Right. Um, so I think that what's going to happen is it might take us a little bit longer to get to the actual tipping point than expected that, but once we hit that tipping point, boom, everyone's going to go there. I think there's also going to be rapid, rapid development in technology in ways that we can't even foresee right now that are going to completely change and pivot everything. So yes, I agree with you that completely we're all going to have to pivot in some way, shape or form. So what my business looks like today and what it looks like in 2020 um, will probably be vastly different. I think for the, for the beginning half, you know, one of the things that I, I want to focus on is, you know, um, as Hector said, getting more into this idea of the experience economy um, and trying to create um, experiences in different ways. Um, so we've got some interesting things that we're working on to try and create some experiences. You know, we did some, um, you know, we had a couple of experiences with the, with the events that we held at the QuickBooks uh, QB Connect conferences. Um, and I think scaling that up and, and doing some experience level stuff um, for our community um, is, is one thing that I want to do. Um, that'll be more of a passion thing than, than a profit thing, to be honest. Um, but I think, and also bringing that, that idea and that concept of experience um, to our customers and trying to, to make um, the journey um, for these entrepreneurs into the accounting world, which they find so overwhelming, not, not just accounting, but, you know, finances in general, because to me, it's, it's not just um, about 
getting the financial statements right. It's setting these people on a financial path um, to financial freedom, right? And looking at the whole picture for them and making that an experience that is not intimidating, um, that is not overly complicated, um, and is something that they can get excited about. So working towards that experience thing is, I think, a big part of what 2020 will be about for us or, or the next decade, not just 2020. I think we'll also be looking at moving more um, into the advisory. Obviously, everyone's advisory this, advisory that. I think, you know, we're going to be pushing heavy into the advisory side. But I could also see that, you know, taking a fundamental shift and pivot um, because the one thing that worries me about the whole advisory side is I, I don't I don't know if I'd want 100% of my practice or a large percentage of my practice to be an advisory because it's it's non-recurring revenue, right? Um, I like the recurring revenue and I all, would always want to look towards a model that has a recurring revenue. Um, and until I figure out that model to make advisory recurring, um, I think that'll always be um, a special a uh, smaller percentage of my business. Like I'd like it to make it much bigger than it is today, but I would never like to see it expand beyond 50% of my practice. Um, so that's sort of where, where my vision is um, for the next decade. How about you, Hector? Okay. Well, how much time we have? So, uh, <laughs> like <five> minutes. <laughs> right, so I'm 39, uh, which means that this, this decade, I will make the official transition from young to old, I think, or at least from, from what I always thought was old, you know, from, from when I was younger. I, I stop you there for one second, Hector, because you're only young once, but you can be immature forever. Good point. Was that, are you calling me immature or what? <laughs> yes. no, Andrew's no, calling I himself, Andrew's <laughs> calling himself immature. Good point. Yeah, but I think that this decade, since I will probably have a prostate exam at some point, at that point, I will feel old. I think that will be the official day that I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm old. Uh, my daughter will also probably start driving at some point, which means that, uh, that that's going to also grow a lot of gray hair. Uh, she's 11 now, so she'll, and she'll probably have a boyfriend this decade too, which will also drive me insane. So I have a lot of things that I'm not so much looking forward to <laughs> on the next uh, decade. However, uh, I do want to play more golf this decade for sure from a personal basis. I've, I, I love golf and I've, I've fought, I literally, this decade, this decade I played very little golf. And I, I think that it's now, it's now time to sort of try to, try to enjoy myself a little bit. Not that I'm going to retire, but I, I, I do, I, I've worked very, very hard. Like I worked the equivalent of 20 years in the last 10 years, right? The amount of sleep that I've gotten, the amount of uh, content I've created, the amount of clients I've been able to grow, the amount of stuff that I've been able to learn and, and amass, you know, the knowledge I've been able to amass in the last 10 years has really felt like 20. So this is the, the decade where I probably take care of more of my health and, and, uh, and, uh, and kind of try to preserve this vessel that carries this head around a little bit longer. Uh, but uh, business-wise and, and, and work-wise, I, I do want to ev eventually retire from client accounting services and tax preparation. I, I, I would like to bring in partners that will do that work, and I will mentor those people into that, certainly, if they want to take over that practice and they're the right fit. Uh, my recurrent revenue plan, Andrew, to answer that, will be education. So my plan is to create enough educational content and continuously be creating updated educational content. So that's my recurrent revenue. And I do want to turn my practice into exclusively a strategic advisory practice that doesn't have to be recurring. People can hire me 
on demand and, and tap into some of the, you know, some, some of the insights that I might or might not have. So that's what I would like the next 10 years to look, look like. I want my YouTube channel to hit 100,000 just so I can have that vanity metric, right? Uh, I'm part of the 100,000 club and I get a little plaque from, from YouTube and I can put it in the background instead of this black foam. Uh, in terms of uh, just kind of overall helping the business environment, I would love to employ 100 people. I mean, I would love to, to, to have a significant impact on helping 100 people uh, build a career in this industry. So that, that's one of my goals too. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how, how it will work out. Uh, one of my goals maybe is to help others build a business like mine. And if they enjoy the type of business that I've been able to build, help others kind of, I would, I would love to multiply the effect, the impact that I've created on the profession times, you know, 10 people and then have those 10 people employ 10 people in their team. That's what I would love to see in the next decade coming from me specifically or or my business. In terms of uh, being a futurist or trying to predict that will happen, I agree with, Mike, with Michael. I think it's a safe bet to say at some point there could be a recession. So uh, I do want to build a business around sort of recession proofing, uh, make sure that I'm not attached to a trend or not attached to some sort of thing that is uh, dependent on something else or dependent on the government or depending. I mean, you know, we, you need to build a business that has a unique brand, that has a unique place, that, that is not, uh, that, that price sensitive people don't look at, that, that you can't be compared with someone else. So uh, further developing my positioning and, and further developing all the accountants out there, all the professional consultants out there build a unique positioning, a unique story behind what you do, how you do it and why you do it. It's the only thing that will make it recession proof. So I foresee the successful accountants that uh, refuse to, to, to believe or give up the technology and automation is going to take over their, their world. The ones that, the, the ones that are going to survive are the ones that, that subscribe to this concept of unique positioning. It's just not, not build a business around your quirky, you know, personality, build a business about specific expertise. Um, you know, I, I've told this story before, you know, I, I've hired a guy to fix the, my, my back patio door, all he does is fix the rollers from the back patio doors and it takes him 10 minutes, charges 150 bucks, has one little uh, bag of a whole bunch of little wheels and rollers and that's all he does. And he does 15 to 20 uh, you know, sliding doors a day and that's what he does. And he's a sliding door repairman and everybody calls him and there's, there's like one, the only one that people call when they need to repair the, you know, the, the rollers from the sliding glass door. And I think that in, in our industry, we're missing that. We're missing the people that are very good at one thing and one thing only, and they're okay with it. And they're proud about it, right? So many of our, our colleagues and Michael and I can tell you firsthand by working with some of uh, some people that we've been mentoring in the last month or so, people are so afraid to, to just focus on one thing because they're afraid of everything else that they'll lose by, by focusing. But the problem is that if you're focused on what you will lose, you, you will never see the sort of the, the light at the end of the tunnel on the potential things that you're going to win. And in our industry with automation, with the Uberization, with the, the big fortune 500 companies getting into our business, uh, we don't even know what competition looks like in our industry yet. We don't even know it. Like right now, 
into it doing QuickBooks Live. It's very similar to what we're doing, and then we're calling that a competition. But we don't know what the true competition looks like. Taxi industry never, never saw Uber coming. Whatever is that thing that's going to hit us hard, we, don't need, we can't even like, we can't even put it together, a rough sketch or draft is going to look like. Uh, yeah, we know it's going to be computers. We know it's going to be software. We know it's going to be automation. But who knows? Maybe the banks get into this industry. You know, like who knows who's going to do it? Like, so the next 10, 20 years, I mean, sorry, the next 10 years should be about, about uh, building a business around your expertise, uh, around something that you're really good at, and, and, and just like build up the arsenal of knowledge as much as possible. Like don't, don't, don't settle for the status quo. Don't settle for what I know now, debits and credits or whatever, it's gonna be important enough. I mean, the, 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 the guy at QuickBooks Connect, the futurist, I forget his name. He said something like, you know, every year seems that things change faster and faster. And today is never going to be as slow uh, as it will ever be. We're basically implying that every day, like Andrew says, a hockey stick effect, every day the rate of change is so much faster that you won't even recognize it as the day before. And I think it'll continue, it'll continue to do that. And 10 years later, we'll have a discussion and we'll be complaining about things that we don't even un, never understood them to be a problem. You know, like think about it 15 years ago, just 15, that's not even 15 years ago. If you left your phone at home or even have a mobile phone, you, you go about your day. It was just like a normal day. Today, you leave your phone at home. Everything drops. You have to go back and get it. Otherwise, your entire day is messed up. Like you can't even, <laughs> you can't even survive a day without your phone. So the, so the iPhones came in, the smartphones came in, and they created a brand new level of problem we, don't even, we didn't even know and understood. So in our world, something like this is going to happen, and we can't even predict it. So I wouldn't even bother to predict it. But the one thing I can predict is that people will always be people. People will always enjoy working with other people. People will always enjoy truth and, and, uh, and, 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 positive, and positiveness and, uh, and, 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 uh, and, uh, and compassion. People, people will always enjoy the things that make humans humans. And it doesn't matter what comes along technology-wise, no technology will ever be able to change this, for example. Like no computers can create a Friday Night Live podcast. No computers can make me feel how I felt when I went to hang out with Andrew over the summer in Canada. No computers give me the feeling that a conference with, you know, 5,000 other colleagues do. So, we, so we, we need to not forget that our industry is people doing business with people that happen to use technology. It's people doing business with people that happen to be using accounting as a tool to help others. But it's just humans helping humans. And, and technology is great and all this stuff is great, but we, we can't forget that. So the next, 20, next 10 years should be about just connecting with others and, and connecting with yourself, making sure that, that you are true to what you are supposed to do and your mission and your purpose, and you focus on it and you do it. And eventually people will follow you. People will be attracted to what you do because people like consistency from other humans. That's great, Hector. You just, I think you summed up a great ending for us. Well, I just, I want to say thank you to everyone who just you know, has followed us this year, joining this community, engaged with us, all our guests from 2019. I'm sure we're going to have many of them back in 2020. I'm, I'm looking forward to this next year with, with both of you. Um, we'll keep the community and the show alive. 
um, and hanging out. And uh, Andrew, you can you can end us out with some some of our music here. Yeah, I, I want to say thank you to both of you guys. This has been an amazing year working on this stuff with you guys. Um, and I'm looking forward to another year with some exciting new guests and some great new great new content. Uh, so look out 2020, the year of perfect vision. Here we come, right? Welcome, welcome. Absolutely, guys. Happy New Year to the next decade. Happy New Year. Join Andrew Wall, Hector Garcia, and Michael Lee. One mission, one rule. Make accounting fun. Welcome to Friday Night Live with Accountants. Are you ready?